The following is a message by Dr. Brian D. Estelle from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Why don't you remain standing while we read God's Word? Uh, This morning I'll be drawing our attention to Uh, that great hymn of love that the Apostle uh, penned in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll actually read uh, the last verse of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, and then the first verse of uh, chapter 14. Uh, This is the very word of God, infallible and given for our edification. Please listen carefully uh, to it. But eagerly desire the greater gifts... And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, then I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Now we may see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. It is broader than all the heavens. It is our great privilege and delight to be on this campus and to be able to learn of you, to be able to dwell deeply in your scriptures. Uh, Father, we thank you for the high privilege which is ours. We thank you for the way you have ordered our lives providentially uh, such that we may give our attention uh, to your word day in and day out. Yes, even study it scientifically, but also see you revealed therein, and we give you great thanks and praise, O Lord, for these glories and these riches which are ours. Father, in these few minutes this morning, we ask that you would take away the lackluster from our eyes, uh, move us to be uh, greater instruments of your peace and your love in the church, 
And Father, uh, may you seal your word to us so that we might become effective instruments uh, in your hand. Grant us that reverence and humility without which no one can understand your truth. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Napoleon Bonaparte and the Apostle Paul are probably two of the most renowned prisoners in all of human history. Napoleon, of course, was put in uh, prison uh, because the peace of the Allied forces against him demanded it in 1814. As you know, probably, he was exiled to the island of Ebla off the coast of northern Italy. And the other was in prison because He sought to give men that peace which the world cannot give and which the world cannot take away. There was a famous Presbyterian preacher, uh, McCartney, who once said, Napoleon once said, I love nobody, not even my own brothers. Is it not strange, therefore, that at the end of his life on this rock prison in the South Atlantic that he also mused, I wonder if there is anyone in the world who really loves me. Close quote. But Paul loved all men. His heart was the heart of the world. And from his lonely prison in Rome, he sent out messages which glow with love unquenchable and the gospel and throb with this kind of faithless hope. He was the one who said, if you remember in Romans 9, Oh, would that I would be cut off for the sake of my brethren. So deep was his love. Well, this morning I want to focus on the latter part of chapter 13. The last time I had opportunity to uh, discuss 1 Corinthians 13 here in your presence, we looked at these first several verses um, all the way up to verse 8, and we're not able to give much attention to verses 8 through 13, which is where I want to focus your attention this morning. But first of all, to contextualize this, remember that Paul is speaking this great hymn of love in the context of spiritual gifts and their use and abuse. And there in the first three verses, he talks about the absolute necessity, if you remember, of charity and of love. He says, without love, we will be nothing. And then in verses 4 all the way up through uh, verse 7, he talks about these great attributes of love. And if you notice what he does, he sets uh, forth first two positive attributes of love. And he says, love is patient and love is kind. And so setting forth those two positive attributes of love, he takes love out again as if he had a diamond in his hand and was turning it. So you might see the refraction of light and color coming through the various facets. And then he goes on to describe eight more characteristics um, of love. Actually, uh, five, uh, uh, I'm sorry, eight negative, and then he'll turn to five more positive. So notice having said first the two positive, love is patient and love is kind, then he sets out these eight negative qualities so that we might know what the true character of Christian love is. Having seen what it's not, we might know Uh, by stating the negative, what the positive is meant to uh, be in shaping our character. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love uh, does not delight in evil. 
And then he uses that to segue. That's a kind of a hinge, if you will. That last one, it does not delight in evil. And then by way of contrast, now he segues back into the positive. So two positive, eight negative. The last negative attribute segues into the last five positive statements again. So it does not delight in evil, but rather it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And of course that's a natural segue because remember when you talk about love, um, we don't want to water down the important element of truth that's communicated by love. Um, It was often the case, if you're familiar with J.G. Machen's writings, that he was accused of not exercising uh, chapter 13 enough in his ministry, especially at the end of his life, when he was in the heat of the battle with the denomination and those that were bringing charges against him for trying to preserve uh, the truth, to which he would often quip, and this is peppered throughout his writings, look at the context of chapter 13. The context of chapter 13 occurs in one of the greatest battles of the Corinthian church over this dispute with regards to the proper use of gifts. Now on to uh, verse 8 and following. So the absolute necessity of uh, Christian love and then love's characteristics and then finally the everlasting worth of Christian love there in verses 8 and following. Notice what he says. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now what's the apostle doing here in this last section to emphasize the everlasting worth of love? Well, to briefly make three points, I think the apostle is reiterating and teaching that the gifts, these special gifts, these charismatic gifts, are temporary. Secondly, the gifts are partial and they are elementary. He makes the first point in verse 8. He makes the next point in verses 9 to 12. But in verse 13, he wants to make the very profound point as he reaches the climax and the symbols clash, so to speak, that love is eternal. Notice, first of all, the gifts are temporary. Now, I think that the whole issue of the cessation of these spiritual gifts should be argued from the greater canonical context of Scripture and not merely from these verses. But nevertheless, Paul seems to have a twofold purpose right here. He wants to redirect their thinking about true spirituality. See, he wants to say to the Corinthians, if you want to know what true spirituality is all about, then it needs to be informed and infused with this element of charity and love. And then secondly, he wants to place their emphasis on the gifts, these charismatic gifts, in the context of love. 
See, Paul has not forgotten the overall argument in his Rhapsody on Love. This is a chapter that shouldn't just be ripped out of the context and has no bearing whatsoever on the discussion with regards to the disagreements over spiritual gifts. All these other gifts, these charismatic gifts, Paul wants to say, are temporary. They shall cease. They are perishable. But not so. Love. The gifts are partial and elementary, he goes on in verses 9 through 12 to uh, talk about. Prophecy, knowledge, and tongues are all in part. What does Paul mean by saying these are in part? He means for now only, for his age only. This is in contrast to the lasting permanence of love. He means by saying that these are in part that we are not yet made perfect. Okay? And not only that we are not yet perfect, but we are making daily progress in these things. And the fact that we have knowledge and prophecy shows that we are not yet perfect. Paul's point is this. The gifts are only a benefit as long as imperfection clings to us in his age. And what he wants to do is set perfection in contrast with imperfection. And he does that through a simple illustration. When I was a child, then I became a man. And childish things will disappear when one grows into full maturity. When perfection comes, it will abolish everything that gives aid to our imperfections. Now, the day is coming, you see, Paul wants to emphasize, when no such imperfect means or methods or gifts are going to be necessary at all. The day is coming uh, when in the final age, we won't even need the ministry of the word. There won't be any preaching in heaven. So I guess you're training for a kind of planned obsolescence. There won't be any need uh, for preaching in heaven. So notice what he says. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. And then as a good Calvinist kicks it into the passive, even as I am fully known. See? Because he knows he acts under actuation. He knows he wouldn't even be able to attain to these great rhapsodies about love if God had not seized his heart and slain his sin and converted him to the utmost so he didn't become any longer a killer of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather he was willing to even cut himself off for the sake of those uh, who had not yet been privileged to understand the gospel grace. See, that's Paul's point. Then shall I know, even as also I am known. Paul's religion is God-centered. Paul recognized that the greatest, the deepest, the most profound love that one can have is to be caught by God, to be converted by God, to have God come in and change his heart and make him willing to believe that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses his name 
and his provision indeed will be saved to the uttermost. And then notice how Paul concludes. Love is eternal. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What's your greatest goal? Now, here we are at an academic institution which has as its primary mission to train an educated ministry because we know that an uneducated ministry will bring injury to the church either in the short term or the long term. And that principle and that great mission gets challenged every single year when the church is asked for exceptions to that training. May it not be so. But I want to challenge you this morning to think about how those who come on this campus would characterize you by their visits. Are we marked by the attributes here uh, that Paul describes so that when people visit, they know and they say, oh, that Westminster student, above all, is marked by love and a kind of otherness that distinguishes them from other candidates for the ministry. What would our community look like if it were marked first and foremost by charity? This is not meant to be anti-intellectual. This is not meant to undermine our mission, namely to communicate the theological truth that our curriculum indeed is designed to communicate and to train for. We should strive for our students to be a cut above in every area, especially in this area in charity. And that when people visit their churches and they know they're Westminster students, that they would say, oh, how they are marked by students. I mean by love as as students of Westminster. But how else? Does it uh, infuse and inform our conversations? One of my chief delights as a professor of languages is when I walk around campus and I see someone of their own volition taking a student who struggles with language and they being gifted in language help that brother or sister with their studies. And they're not on the seminary's dole to do that. Now, there's nothing wrong with the uh, teaching assistants who are on the seminary's dole doing that. Or for the professors not just to be present during office hours, but to be readily available at other times to help those who struggle. And it's not just the languages, but all our studies. But one of my chief delights is seeing the back table uh, filled with a more able student, if you will, or a more gifted student to whom that particular discipline comes easy, helping another student. Now that kind of thing should mark our whole community. What was it that made the Apostle Paul able with singular resolve to write such a beautiful paean and hymn to love? Because he had been so captured by gospel grace that he understood the importance of charity above all. Ray Orton Jr. wrote in A Passion for God in another section of scripture. He was commenting on Romans, but he said the following, when their lives demonstrate real love, this is what Christians look like. Full stop. 
semicolon. They utterly reject evil. They cling devotedly to good. They cherish one another in brotherly love. Rather than compete for first place, they promote one another. When earnest effort is called for, they do not hold back. They radiate the presence of the Holy Spirit. They actively actively serve the Lord. They are lifted by hope above circumstances into joy. They remain steadfast under stress. They are persistently devoted to prayer. They are generously responsive to the needs of God's people. They seek out opportunities to show hospitality in their homes. I think by way of extension, that's what this community would look like if it was especially marked by love. May it be so that God would work in us such a love for and a cherishing of the gospel promises which he has made true and real to us that our community would be marked by love in such a way. Shall we close in prayer? Father, thank you for uh, these brief moments when we can pause from the hectic velocity that marks our lives here, O Lord, as busy students, as busy teachers and administrators, and meditate upon your scriptures and be reminded, O Lord, of the high calling which you have given us to exemplify and testify to the gospel grace that resides within us. O Father, would you accomplish these things by your grace, by the provision of Jesus Christ, our penalty payer and probation keeper. And as you do so, and as we do uh, become more and more customarily marked by love and develop a name for being charitable one towards another, we will be very careful to showcase and placard the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his great name that we pray. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.